well, I think a, a pretty universal experience is the dislike of losing things. No, nobody likes to lose something. I've never heard anybody say, man, I just love the thrill of the hunt when I'm looking for my keys and running 10 minutes late. You know, you know, we don't look for that moment. We don't relish that moment. We hate to lose things. And, and when we do lose things, when we do lose someone, man, that can cause everything from, on a more mild scale, frustration on a more major side to devastation. Whether we're losing something or someone, and I don't think there's ever a place in our lives where we look at losing as a, as a good thing. And, and you know, the more we think on that, the worse it gets. Because it can so often happen with no warning. That's not very real to us. A lot of us don't live with the mindset that, uh, you know, I could lose my health, I could lose my job, I could lose my marriage by 5 o'clock tomorrow. But ask anybody that's been through that, and they'll tell you that's very much a reality. You can be 24 hours away from losing the biggest things in your life and not have a clue of what's coming. Now, my goal this morning is not to sink us all into depression and fear, make us scared to walk out the door. Actually, folks, I think we all know the reality of that, and it's in that context that it is such great news to hear. There is something we can't lose. There is something that we can't mess up. There's something that no matter what happens tomorrow, I will still possess this. God has that for you. We're going to continue today our What Is series. We've been in this for months and months now. And, and last week we looked at What Is Salvation. And, and today is kind of a, a part two to that. It's in the same topic. It's in the same area. But we're going a little bit different direction. We're looking at What Is Eternal Security. Some people call this the Once Saved, Always Saved Doctrine. We're going to look at what that is. It's extremely important to your life. Folks, ultimately, I believe to not understand eternal security is to not understand what happened at the cross. As we've sang about this morning, to not understand the wonder and the power of what happened at the cross. Now, as we start thinking about eternal security, I thought what we might do is start with the definition. Charles Ryrie, a theologian of our generation, has, I think, a very strong, very simplistic uh, definition of uh, eternal security. He says, it's a work of God which guarantees that the gift of salvation once received. Now, those two words are very critical to this. Once received. Now, you have to have actually received the gift. It's not this. We're not talking about people who go to church a lot. We're not talking about people who are religious. We're talking about people who have received the gift of salvation. Once it's received, then it's forever and it cannot be lost. Now, for some, that idea that I just said is just reprehensible. I couldn't suggest a worse idea. And, and the reason that is for them is because it seems to almost encourage laying a hold of Christ, laying a hold of salvation, and then go on out and live however you want. Man, the consequences are covered now. doesn't matter how I live because God's, God's got me covered. I can't lose this. You see, they reject eternal security to protect a motivation for obedience and holy living. It's a noble idea, but is that what the Bible 
teaches? Is that what Scripture says? You know, when I think about what Scripture says and I, I think about this topic of eternal security, there's actually three words that are kind of a beginning point for me. Three very important words. There are three words that Jesus spoke from the cross. You might remember he was on the cross and he said, it is finished. Everything necessary to bring you to bring me back into a right relationship with God is finished. It's complete. God sent his son into this world to do a number of things. But the key one is to give you and I an opportunity to be saved. And as Jesus is about to breathe his last, he's saying, Father, I've completed it. I've done your task. I've done what you've sent me to do. It is finished. There's nothing more that needs to be done. Conditional, of course, upon us receiving it. We have to receive, go back to the definition, we have to receive that gift. But when we receive it, go back to Jesus' words. It's finished. It's not, it is finished if he'll come along and add to it. If he'll come along and, and, and attain a certain level of obedience. No, everything necessary to bring you into a right relationship with God, everything necessary to save you from sin and death and hell is complete once you receive that gift. You're familiar with the passage in John 1.12 that says, to those who, there's the word, received him, to those who received him, he gave the right to become children of God. And folks, notice in that passage, it doesn't say those who received him and lived a holy life after that. To those who received him and obeyed at least 87% of the time. No, it just says those who received him. That's who became a child of God. Folks, that work on the cross is powerful and it is awesome. But our coming to understand that, our coming to that moment of what we call saved, salvation, that's not the whole story. Actually, in that moment, God is beginning a work that is going to result in me standing in heaven. It's not just getting me to the place where I receive Christ and I walk down an aisle and I express my faith and I'm baptized and I say I'm a Christian. Okay, we're done. Everything Jesus came for is done. No, that's that that begins a process that is going to result in me standing in heaven. And that's why Philippians 1 6 says, I am sure of this. Some of your translations will say, I am confident of this, that he who started a good work in you. That work started when you prayed to receive Christ, when you received Jesus as your Savior and Lord. That's just the start that he who started that work will complete it in the day of Christ Jesus on his return. Folks, a simple question here. Who begins the work of salvation in your life? Starts with a G, ends with a D. God. Thank you. Okay, I'm going a little fast here, obviously. God begins the work of salvation. Now, according to Philippians 1.6, a second question. It has the same answer as the first. Who finishes the work of salvation in our lives? God. That's right. Folks, God begins. God maintains. God completes the work of salvation in our lives. And when it's all of his work, guess who gets all the glory? 
God does. That's what it's all about. Folks, our salvation points to him. You remember last week we were looking at Ephesians 2, 9, talking about salvation. And it said our salvation is, again, three words, not from works. Why? So that no one can boast. Folks, when we're saved, when we're made a child of God, when we're declared holy, that's not a statement about what I've achieved, what I've arrived at, what I've done. Our salvation doesn't point to us. It points to Him. He gets all the glory. Now, this issue of of what saves us, what keeps us saved, is a big issue in the Scriptures. As a matter of fact, almost an entire book of the New Testament is dedicated really to just this one topic. And it's the book of Galatians. And and in that book, there is a a group of believing Jews. They're believers. They believe Jesus died for them on the cross. They believe they are saved by grace. They have trusted in Christ for that. But after the fact, now they come back and they want to add something. They say for that salvation to really be complete, for it to really take, it's the cross plus circumcision. You have to get circumcised. Now, that's not the issue that we're dealing with today in our culture, but it's still this idea. Is it the cross plus anything? Is it the cross plus me attaining a certain level of obedience? Is it the cross plus me attaining a certain level of holiness? And if I don't get circumcised, if I don't attain that level of holiness, if I'm not this much obedient, then then the salvation's off. We've lost it. It's no longer in place. And this is what Paul is addressing and dealing with very angrily, I might add, in Galatians. And in Galatians 3.3, he says this. He asks the question, after beginning in the Spirit, after your salvation beginning by a work of the Holy Spirit that convicted you, And told you you needed to be saved. After your salvation beginning by a work of the Holy Spirit that came into your life and caused you to be born again. After beginning by the work of God, is that salvation now going to be made complete by human flesh? And folks, listen to the simplicity of this verse. And we could end the sermon right here and don't get excited because we're not. But do you see that? It begins with God. Do you now think that, that your achievement, that your attainment, that your accomplishment is now going to finish that work? That, that it's now going to complete that work? And, and the way that verse is written, the grammar of that passage absolutely implies, no, you're not doing anything to add to this. You're not doing anything to complete it. It is God's work. As a matter of fact, folks, this is incredible. The entire Godhead is involved in seeing you get saved. The entire Godhead is involved in keeping you saved. Let's look at some of these verses and watch each member of the Trinity keep you saved. Let's look at the the work of the Father. The Father's power keeps us saved. This is from Jude 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling... Now, we might read that and think, okay, God's power is going to keep me from walking along and and tripping into a sin. And it certainly can and does have that idea. But actually, in the context of this passage, it's a much bigger idea than God protecting me from a particular sin. Think of yourself as on a journey. You have prayed to receive Christ. You've trusted in him. And now you're on this journey to heaven. It is God's power that is going to keep you from stumbling and falling off of that journey. 
missing the journey. You say, well, okay, how do you know it means all that? Well, read the rest of the verse. By the result of keeping me from stumbling, what's the result? It makes you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless and with great joy. God's power keeps me from stumbling, keeps me from falling off the path of my journey to salvation. And the result will be that I'm standing in heaven in his presence and not just standing there scared to death, ready to receive a load of judgment, but standing there blameless with joy, with excitement. It's God's power that does that. Now, folks, if you believe that somebody can be saved and then somewhere on that journey to heaven, they lose that salvation, they stumble off that path, then you have just attacked the power of God. And you said it was inefficient to keep that person from stumbling. You've attacked what God does. The son's payment keeps us saved. We've looked at this verse recently. 1 John 2 says, if anyone does sin as a believer, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the, remember that word from last week? Propitiation. He is the satisfactory payment for our sins. So we have somebody that comes along as a believer and and boy, they never really live like it. They're living very disobedient. We have an advocate that steps up to the father and your life may actually condemn you justly, rightly condemn you. The devil can stand up and condemn you. And when that condemnation is happening, the son steps up and says, I've paid for that. I've covered that. Now, folks, if you're going to say somebody can lose their salvation, then you've got to take me to the verse. And I hope you look for it all week. I'll tell you right now, you're not going to find it. You've got to look for the verse that shows the sin that that payment doesn't cover. You've got to show me the verse that gives the list of sins or the amount of sins where all of a sudden Jesus says, I, I can't cover that. That there's not a propitiation there for him or for her. Folks, if you attack eternal security, you're attacking the payment that the son made. The Holy Spirit's involved in this. It is the promise of the Holy Spirit that keeps us saved. Let's look at this next verse in Ephesians. In him, when you believed. Now, folks, remember, every one of these verses is prefacing the idea that you have believed, you have received, you genuinely have salvation. In him, when you believed, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. He is the down payment of our inheritance. Now I've said all morning long, there's that point where we come to Christ. And now that I've come to Christ, now that I've received him, I'm on this journey to heaven. God is working in it. God is completing it. And God is saying, Randy, I promise you from that moment right there where you trusted in me, you will land in heaven. And to show you that promise, here's the guarantee. Here's the deposit. Here's the down payment. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. Now, folks, you know, we've all paid deposits, haven't we? And when we pay a deposit, what I'm saying is I, I promise I'm going to fulfill this contract. I'm going to fulfill this deal. And you put down a deposit. If you don't fulfill it, what happens? Come on now, you can do this. You lose your deposit. OK, you've lost your right. If God doesn't fulfill his promise, if he doesn't complete this work that began with us receiving and ends with us standing in his presence and glory, what happens? He loses his deposit. The word that's being used there is the same word that a person would use for turning around and giving a deposit to somebody else on a contract. 
Now, folks, if God loses his deposit, that means God loses the Holy Spirit, which means God loses himself, which means God ceases being God. God has staked himself on this process being finished. We have the promise of the Holy Spirit. The Godhead's purpose keeps us saved. This is out of John 6. This is the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent Jesus that I should lose none. Just kind of focus on that word for a moment. That I should lose none of those he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. Now, who is the Father given to Jesus? Believers. When a person has received Christ, when they are a believer, they belong to Jesus. And Jesus is now saying, of those who've been given to me, of those believers, it's the Father's purpose, the Godhead's purpose, that none be lost. If you believe that a person can lose their salvation, you have to rip this verse out of your Bible. It can't say none. Jesus can't say that I would lose none and be able to raise them up on the last day. You could put the word many or most or few or some, but you couldn't use the word none. The Godhead's purpose is to keep us saved. Now, we're looking at these scriptures. We're developing this concept of eternal security. But folks, I think our question about once saved, always saved is not really what this verse says or this verse doesn't say. It's kind of some practical questions. And we ask the question, Okay, this person comes to Christ, or at least that's what they say, or at least that's what it appears to us. We believe them to be we think them to be we know them to be a believer and now we fast forward weeks months years into their life and man this person as a believer has never ever ever grown in the lord they have stayed very immature in their relationship with christ very immature in their knowledge of christ very immature in their serving of christ or let's make it a little bit worse it's not just that they're immature they're actually very rebellious They live very disobedient to God's word. They live very disobedient to Christ. Oh, let's just save time and get out to the worst case scenario. This person who who we thought was a believer, who has said they were a believer, arrives at a point in their life and says, you know what? I hate Christ. I hate Christianity. If I'm saved, I throw that gift back in God's face. I reject it. Is that person still saved? I mean, how? How can they still be saved? Folks, it's in that moment right there, in the horrificness of that sin. That's the exact moment we have an advocate stand up and say, Father, I paid for that. Once received, if you've genuinely received the gift then you received an advocate who can step up and say, I paid for that. Now, folks, clearly, obviously, verse after verse after verse, it is God's design, it is God's will, it is God's desire that when we come into a relationship with Christ, we are going to grow, we are going to mature, we are going to obey. That is absolutely the expectation. And if that's not happening, something is really, really wrong. You remember me saying last week, real faith is going to produce a real changed life. Yes, the lifestyle is to follow the words. The life, the commitment, the values are to follow the confession. 
And the more that's not there, the more we should question if a real decision, a real receiving has taken place. You see, folks, I'm not really struggling with whether people lose their salvation. I believe in all of those cases where, where somebody is living in a way where it appears that they have rejected Christ, where they are living in great disobedience, they haven't lost their salvation. They were never saved to begin with. And watch this. And their life is just proving that. Folks, your life is always going to prove your words. Your life is always going to prove this little ritual we have when we all come to a building on Sunday morning, call it church. Your life's going to prove whether that's real or not. The fruit always says what what kind of tree it is. What do you find on an apple tree? Apples. Thank you. And I'm going to be honest with you guys, the 930, they, they were all over that one. I bet I had 600 people say apples. So I'm struggling with y'all. Y'all should be a little bit more awake by now. You've had the coffee. You know, we should be there. Apples. Folks, an apple tree always produces apples. Never, 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 never will you find a banana on an apple tree. Nor grapes, nor oranges. The fruit is always going to show what we're looking at. And that's true in our life. The fruit of your life is always, sooner or later, maybe not in a moment, But ultimately, it's going to show whether we're looking at a child of Satan or a child of God. Those are the only two options. You've heard me say that week after week after week. Your life is always going to prove it. Now, after all I've said, there are a number of passages in the Bible that would seem to imply at a casual reading, and obviously I'm kind of painting it with that word casual reading. But at a first glance, at a casual reading, you read those and it says, That sounds like somebody's losing their salvation. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you how many passages there are. There's about eight or nine. There are six passages in the book of Hebrews. We call them the warning passages when you're studying the book of Hebrews. There are six passages in Hebrews that sounds like somebody's losing their salvation. There's another passage in John 15 where it talks about remaining in Christ, abiding and growing in Christ. And if you don't remain, you don't abide, you don't grow. And and this illustration is of a vine. If the vine, if the branch is not growing and it's dying, it's going to get cut off. And we're going to take this branch over here and put it with the other dead branches and they're going to burn. Now, folks, what would you think is happening if somebody is cut off and then burned? What's that sound like? Hell, oh my gosh. Okay, maybe we may make this a three-part series. (laughs) So you see, people read passages like this and they say, there's somebody losing their salvation. Now folks, we've got a multitude of passages that over and over and over communicate this idea of eternal security. We've got just a couple of passages that seem to be maybe a contradiction, but you know what? We don't believe God's word contradicts itself. So what we do in, in, this, in, the, in this way of studying Scripture is called we use Scripture to interpret Scripture. We use clear and straightforward verses to help us come over and walk through and understand a little bit more challenging, more difficult to understand verses. And there is a very clear and straightforward verse that helps us understand what is happening here. Now, when you when we look at this, matter of fact, let's look at a a verse. Let's look at Hebrews chapter six. This is one of these warning verses. This is one of these that would almost give the feel that somebody's losing their salvation. It is impossible to renew to repentance. Okay, a person has repented, 
But they have arrived at some condition where they can't repent anymore. They can't return back to God. It's impossible. It's impossible to renew to repentance those who were once enlightened, who tasted the heavenly gift, became companions of the Holy Spirit, who have tasted God's good, God's good word and the powers of the coming age, and who have, and look at this phrase, fallen away because to their own harm they're re-crucifying the Son of God and holding Him up to contempt. Now there's two phrases there. They can't be renewed to repentance. Jesus says you've got to repent to come to the kingdom of God. And yet this person can't repent anymore. And they have fallen away. So this would be the, one of these passages that says somebody here has lost their salvation. Now I believe we have a passage that can help us understand what is happening here. But before we understand that, I want to try to explain what I believe is happening in this spot right here. Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, is encouraging the believers to get off their rear end. The writer of Hebrews is angry. He's looking around at, at a church and, 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 a, and a mass of Christianity and he says, we are incredibly immature. We are incredibly complacent. We've gotten our little fire insurance policy. We say we're saved, but then we just go on walking through life, meaning nothing for God, being nothing for God, not growing in God. And so the book of Hebrews is after us. Remember, that's how this whole series started back in March. Remember, he he challenged us in Hebrews to start learning. That's why we're in this what is series. He says there's no great. It's not faith to be stupid for Jesus. Faith doesn't require you to not really know, and yet that's how we often approach faith, isn't it? Faith is when there's no answers, you just, you just believe. Well, that's not ever what God has said faith is. Faith is grounded in reality. Faith is grounded in truth. And so the writer of Hebrews says, start learning, start growing. If you don't, you could get stuck. Your heart could become so hardened and it, it could become, again, so much like the world, you could arrive at a spot where you can't be renewed again, where you can't be refreshed again toward God. You could arrive at a spot where it's like your life has completely fallen away and you know nothing of the joy of salvation, you know nothing of the blessings, and you will lose a lot. But have they lost their salvation? Let's go to a passage that clearly shows somebody losing a lot. The kind of warning and urgency that the writer of Hebrews has. But that person is indeed still saved. Turn with me this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, we've got some there in the pew. By the way, that wasn't my introduction and now I'm starting the sermon. Wouldn't that be scary? We'll be out here by 4. No, we're we're actually getting there. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. By the way, as you're turning there, every single faith that teaches you can lose your salvation, they all teach you can get it back. When you go to those churches, when you go to those denominations, you'll find people, they've been saved three times, they've been saved five times, they all teach you can be saved again. But when you go to one of the passages that they use to say that you can lose your salvation, do you remember what it said? It's impossible to be renewed to repentance. So if you're going to believe that you can lose your salvation, you've also got to believe you can never get it back. They're a little inconsistent in using the verses that they use. Let's look at this. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. 
It says, no one can lay any foundation other than has been laid. That is Jesus Christ. Remember last week I said, when we were talking about being born again, regeneration, that life doesn't begin until you've been born again. Your life means nothing. It adds up to nothing. It has no eternal value. Life begins when you're born again. The illustration there was birth. The illustration here is a building. You don't have a building. You're not building a building until you've got a foundation. That's first. There's no way to do this without a foundation. And what is that foundation? It's Jesus Christ. Now, everything we're getting ready to read is about people who've laid the foundation. They have received Jesus Christ. And now their life begins to count. Now they begin to build their life. Verse 12. If anyone's work, if, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious, for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by the fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. Now, folks, right away we realize, oh my gosh, every time we hear the word fire, doesn't mean we're talking about hell. There's a fire in heaven. It's not a judgment fire. It's a purifying fire. You've laid the foundation of Christ. You've died. You're now in heaven. And now you're going to go into your life is going to go into this refining fire. I always picture this as one of those long poles with like what they use at the pizza place. You know, it's got the big spatula on then. So your life sitting on it. God shoves you into the refining fire. And then that purifying fire begins to burn away the impurities. It burns away disobedience. It burns away the things you didn't do that you should have. Are you ready for this? It burns away the good and wonderful and right things that you did. But boy, you did it with a sorry attitude. You did it, but your motive was wrong. And every one of us in here, every person sitting in this room has done what I just described. You were doing what you were supposed to do. You were where you were supposed to be. But you were, we'll just say, jacked up inside. <laughs> Folks, you know what? God always cares a whole bunch more about what's happening inside in your heart than this outward activity that we fake. He cares when we're doing the right thing, but it's so that I get the glory. And not God getting the glory. So that gets burned away. So God's taken my life. He's got it in the refining fire. Ding! Pulls it out. And what is left, that's what's pure. And that's going to be the basis of my reward. The kind of reward I get. The amount of reward I get. And those rewards, by the way, folks, if you think those are important or not, that's what you use for the rest of eternity. Eternity is a pretty long time. Go home and look up the definition. That's what you're going to use to serve God, to enjoy God, to worship God. This is the stuff. Let's use another. This is the money. It's not money, but I'll use that kind of a way to think about this. This is the money we have to use and spend through all eternity. I wonder how many people are absolutely selling away eternity so they can get something in the temporary. Do you realize how utterly pitiful and pathetic 85 years looks like when you're facing eternity? Now. We've got somebody else here in our story. Look at verse 15. If anyone's work is burned up, it will be lost. Some translations probably out there that you're reading say they will suffer loss. But he, what? Will be saved. 
Folks, 1 Corinthians 3, very clear to understand. You don't need me to walk you through this. The life goes into the refining fire. Ding! We pull it out. There's nothing left. Everything burned. I don't know how long this person in verse 15 was a believer. But everything burned. There was nothing pure. There was nothing with the right motive. There wasn't any growth. There wasn't any serving of God. And his life came out and there's nothing left to reward this person on. Now look at the words being used in this passage. This is kind of a mind shift for us. Because we're using words like fire and suffer and loss. Those are words we never think of when we think about heaven, are they? Now, they're really not words we think of when we think about heaven. This is a temporary moment, not an eternal moment. It's a temporary moment in heaven. But when we enter heaven, this is what happens first. And for those who never mature, who never grow, who never obey, their life's going to be put in this refining fire. And when it comes out, we've seen fire, we've seen loss, we've seen suffering, but the person is still saved. You know what? Eternal security does not remove the motive to be holy. It doesn't remove the motive to be obedient. Folks, the only life that works is a life of obedience. Regardless of what kind of judgment we have in heaven. The only life that works is a life of obedience. The only way we're blessed, the only path of blessing is the path of holiness. You know one of the great blessings of being saved? It's assurance. Now assurance is an emotion. It's a feeling that is related to everything we've talked about the last two Sundays. You see, assurance is that feeling I have when I go out into the world and I know no matter what happens to me today, I am loved, I am forgiven, I'm accepted, I'm saved. There's nothing I'm going to do to mess this up. Man, and it gives a sense of confidence. It gives a, a sense of joy. Now, if I start walking in disobedience and I live away from God, and I'm not following God, and I'm not growing in God, folks, I'm going to lose my assurance. It's a fact. It happens 100% of the time. When I think about my relationship with God in those rare moments, because I'm living out in disobedience, what's going to come to my mind is insecurity, fear, and doubt. Now, what I've lost is the blessing of assurance. The work of salvation, the work of eternal security are absolutely locked in place. Because of my disobedience, my ability to enjoy them is completely trashed. That's completely lost. Those things are secure. My ability to enjoy it, the blessing of knowing that and living in it is gone. Eternal security does a number of things for us. I'd like to close with just two quick ones. One, eternal security introduces us to the incredible and amazing love of our God and His grace. Folks, you don't know God. You don't know what we're talking about. If you can look at God's love, you can look at the work of salvation and all you see is what you can get away with. Does that mean I can get away with something? Even the person who thinks they're protecting that and says, oh, people are going to come grab this love and then they're going to go run and live sinfully because they know they're covered. If that's your mindset, you haven't yet interacted with the power and the love of God. Folks, when you're really in love and you're really being loved, you don't look at that and say, now, how can I take advantage of this? What can I get away with here? If that's where you are, you're not, you're, you haven't just met love. 
Remember what we said a couple of weeks ago? Forgiveness, forgiveness is a safety net. It's there to catch us when we stumble and fall. But it's not a parachute. Forgiveness never encourages us to just go ahead and jump into that sin. And then secondly, folks, eternal security gives us the ability to actually serve God with a pure motive. See how important 1 Corinthians 3 is? See how important those motives are? Folks, the last two weeks, we've basically been talking about working our way to God. Last week, we talked about working our way up to the cross, working our way to be saved. This week, we've talked about, okay, we're at the cross, we've been saved, but now we're working to hold on to it. Now we're working to keep it. Folks, if we're working, then do you realize that anything you do is ultimately not for God? Think through the logic of this. Everything you do is for you. Every single thing you do, the most wonderful, good, religious person on the planet who's working is serving themselves. They're trying to get themselves saved. They're, they're trying to keep themselves saved. Everything they're doing is about them. Folks, the scripture doesn't call us to live for ourselves. It calls us to live for God. God is to be my motive. The motive of what I do is to be his glory and the advancement of his kingdom. But see, what eternal security does is when I can say, man, I didn't get up and come to church this morning because I'm trying to earn my way into heaven or hold on to the heaven that Jesus won for me. Man, God's already taken care of that. I'm good. Then why did I get up? Because, man, I love God. And I want to worship Him and celebrate Him and bring glory to Him. Folks, only eternal security gives us the ability to take the eye and the focus and the motivation off ourselves and put it fully on God because God's already taken care of me. I'm covered. I've got, I've got four children. You know that. And, and they were born, and by that birth, I'm their dad. Nothing will ever change that. You realize that? No matter what happens in my relationship with my four kids, nothing can ever change the fact that I'm their dad. They can reject me. They can hate me. They can think I'm a loser. They can make fun of me. I'm still their dad. Now, my kids will grow up. They'll leave the home and they'll begin making decisions about what I gave them for 18 plus years. And, and clearly, obviously, one possibility out there is that they'll look at what I gave them and reject it. Dad, I, I, Dad I, don't, I don't want your values. I don't want your beliefs. I don't want your way of life. And if that happens, that's going to hurt our relationship, isn't it? I mean, I guess it could get so bad that I would say, you know what, I love you. And I will forgive you at the drop of a hat. But on that path, I won't walk with you. We can't, we can't be friends. We can't fellowship on that path. If that's the path you choose, I can't join you on that. Now, I suppose it could get bad enough that I actually say, you know what, I, I'm, I'm writing you out of the will. I love you. I will forgive you at a moment's notice. But I can't fund that. If that's your life and that's your choice, I can't pay for you to keep doing that. Now, I'm still their dad, aren't I? Nothing changes that. They have lost the blessing of what it means that I'm their dad. They maybe even have lost some of the physical things that come with them being with, with me being their dad. But I'm still their dad. Folks, the only reason you go to heaven. Is because God's your dad. 
When you and I receive Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, we become, we've looked at this two weeks in a row, we become children of God. He becomes our dad. And nothing can undo that reality. We might choose to live in a way where we cannot enjoy what it means that I'm in a relationship with the living God and not just in a relationship. He's my dad. And I might live in a way, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where I lose a lot, maybe all of the inheritance that he has for me. But he's still my dad. And nothing can change that fact. Is he your dad? Let's pray. Father, in a world where we can lose anything and everything. In a world where we can lose it without ever even knowing what's about to hit us. I'm so grateful that you've done a work that the single most important thing in all of eternity, I can't mess up. I can't lose. I can't undo. You have done a work, only a work that you could have done, that makes me your child. God, I worship you and I praise you and I thank you for that. And Lord, Lord, for those of us that have that relationship, may we leave here this day and go into this world filled with security and joy and confidence. Not because every circumstance in life is working out like we'd want it. Because ultimately our life is moving to a place where it's going to work out much better than we would have ever dreamed. Lord, if there's anybody in this room that cannot call you dad... I pray that in this moment right here, they will receive your gift of salvation. Lord, that they would reach out and grab the hand of Jesus. Holy Spirit, I pray that right now you are moving and working across this room in each heart and life. And you know who they are. Tell them he wants to be your dad. But you're not his child. Holy Spirit, as you give them that truth, would you give them the faith to receive Christ? Do the work that only you can do. We can't do it for ourselves. We can't do it for each other. A church can't do it. Only you can do this work, oh God. May we see you do this work and miracle right here, right now in this room. It's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray it. Amen.